0: Have you ever been so afraid that you couldn't move? So anxious you couldn't make a decision? So carried away by anger that you hurt someone, or intent on recreating that perfect moment that you couldn't enjoy it? Sometimes our emotions get in our own way, and I'd like to take a closer look at this by inquiring into a passage from the one Buddhist scripture. There are three parts to this passage. The first part describes how we ordinary human beings relate to our feelings. The second part talks about how bodhisattvas, those who have vowed to save humanity from suffering, relate to emotions. And the third part refers to how Buddhas use their emotions. Let's read the full passage. The founding master said, sentient beings use their minds while being attached to joy and anger, sorrow and happiness, thus bringing much harm to themselves and others. Bodhisattvas use their minds while transcending joy, anger, sorrow and happiness. Thus, they do not bring harm to themselves or others. The Buddhas use joy, anger, sorrow and happiness as if they were their servants thus bringing much benefit to themselves and others. If we think about these three parts as steps, three gigantic steps, from attachment to transcending to using emotions as servants, it's really difficult to imagine ourselves much farther than that first step. But if we think about them as three different approaches or ways of relating to our emotions, then we could, at any one time, behave like a bodhisattva or even a buddha. This view opens up possibilities. Let's start with part one. Sentient beings use their minds while being attached to joy and anger, sorrow or happiness, thus bringing much harm to themselves and others. I think it's fairly easy to see how certain emotions can cause harm. I express frustration at a work colleague, who has not completed a task well, and that person may also feel frustration or express anger at somebody else, pass it on to somebody else, or spend a lot of mental energy envisioning my demise. But what about joy and happiness? What's wrong with expressing those emotions? Our initial response to the question is probably nothing. Express all the joy you want. We need more of that in this world for sure. I agree. There's a key word here, though, that gives us pause, and that is attachment. When people use their minds while being attached to happiness, that is what can lead to troubles. For example, imagine someone who feels extreme bliss when dancing, but is so passionate about it that he ignores his family and friends and stops his volunteer work. Another example of attachment is how hard we work sometimes to keep an emotion going, even a negative one. Thoughts and emotions don't last very long on their own, maybe a minute or so. But we give them fuel by telling stories about them and chasing them. Do you ever have that feeling of, I know I'm angry at some, about something, but I can't remember what it is? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's it. So we have to actually work hard to conjure it back up. So why do we spend that kind of energy trying to get back a negative emotion? So it's not the emotion itself that's the problem. It's our relationship to it. In an article by An-Yen called The Four Noble Truths of Emotional Suffering, the author explains the difference between the American and the Tibetan approach to emotions. Here's what he says. When I came to America, I noticed the strong relationship Americans have with their emotions. People here focus on their emotions much more than we Tibetans do, and they're encouraged to do that. The American culture places value on focusing on one's own feelings more than the mood and energy of the other people. What is the consequence of this way of relating to our emotions? First, it can cause us to be extremely sensitive we react emotionally to almost everything and everyone around us. Emotions have become the core of American identity. Almost literally, you are what you feel. Even the English language expresses this idea. We identify directly with the emotion. We say, I am angry. I am happy. Rather than I have anger, as they do in other languages, in the Tibetan language, We actually say, anger is present, and do not connect the emotion with I at all. Let's look a little bit closer at that difference. So in English, we literally equate ourselves with the emotion by using the word am. Other languages take a step back, I have. So you're a little bit distant from it. Looking at the Tibetan way, anger is present, joy is present. Resentment is present. So what's happening here? Not only is there more distance placed between the speaker and the emotion, there is no I. This is passive voice, no subject, no self. With no self, there is room for other things, a space. How liberating. Let's move on to part two, Bodhisattvas. They use their minds while transcending joy, anger, sorrow, and happiness. Thus, they do not bring harm to themselves or others. Notice the verb transcend, which means to rise above, go beyond the limits of. Hmm, go beyond the limits of. So emotions have limits. Intriguing. Can that possibly mean we need to set boundaries for them? direct them to do not go past this line? Is this where the dialogue begins? A true conversation does begin with awareness. Once we are aware, there can be communication back and forth. We can listen to them, hear what they have to say, these feelings, and why they popped up at that particular moment, thinking about how they affect us and influence our behavior. How they became habits, and how we can break those habits if they're detrimental. It might be easier to go beyond the limits of emotion when encountering other people's emotions, because there's already a distance there. It's not you, after all. Recently, for example, my husband came crashing into my home office, yelling that the spatula had gone missing, and did I know where it was? My first reaction, or feeling, really was annoyance. Right back at you, fella. But I did not act on that. I was actually too busy turning off my camera and muting the mic. I actually just looked at him, really looked. And for some weird reason, I saw the fear behind his anger. This was someone who was just really scared. Scared, perhaps, that he was losing it, like his dad, who had had Alzheimer's. I don't know, but it was showing right there on his face. So, awareness opens a door to dialogue, which opens a gap between myself and my emotion, allowing me to transcend it, to act and speak in a way that is not harmful. One more thing before we move to part three. Why does the passage say of bodhisattvas, they do not bring harm to themselves or others? Why only that? I thought the point was to bring people out of their sufferings to do good. I struggled with this a bit on my own, asked a couple of Sangha buddies, but ended up posing this question to Reverend Wang Gong, and here's how she responded. There are two ways to benefit others. One, do no harm, and two, proactively do good. So bodhisattvas transcend their emotions by not indulging in them, not being swayed by them. And in so doing, this is where the benefit lies. It doesn't mean they don't feel anything or express anything. As Wang Gong explained, they are not a dead log. But by not being tossed around by emotional waves, they are doing good. I also take this to mean that bodhisattvas are putting into practice the third noble truth. There is cessation of suffering. Cessation of suffering happens when we let go of attachment. In this case, attachment to our emotions. By doing that, we also let go of our identification with them. And this is what brings us out of our suffering. And doesn't the absence of suffering mean happiness? Like when you wake up having been sick with the flu for two weeks, with that slow realization that you're now okay, you're hungry, you're feeling like yourself again. Isn't that bliss? Let's move on to part three. The Buddhas use joy, anger, sorrow, and happiness as if they were their servants, thus bringing much benefit to themselves and others. Now the dialogue really deepens. We are not defined by our anger. We do not have it. We just state anger is present. No self, no I. As Reverend Wong Gong described in her view of this passage, the anger bows to me, and asks, how may I serve you? Buddhas put their emotions to work in order to do good. Using emotions is a step beyond transcending. It's making use of those feelings to bring grace out into the world. And this is not just at the individual level, but it extends to the community or global level. All of us have Buddha nature and can be Buddha-like at certain times in our lives. Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Jr., Eleanor Roosevelt, Sojourner Truth, all have used their anger, sorrow, and other strong emotions to galvanize other people. When we act as Buddhas in this way, we become the model for others to follow. So what I think this entire passage is showing us is that there does need to be a dialogue between ourselves and our feelings. The first part describes a situation which we are not even having this conversation. We're too attached to how we are feeling. The second part, when we transcend our emotions, we invite the dialogue to begin and train ourselves through diligent practice to transcend those emotions in order to reduce harm. In the third part, the Buddha step, we have full conversation with the emotions as they arise. And we are powerful enough to tell them how to best serve us in order to bring benefit to the world. There are many mental processes that go on inside us each minute of the day, and emotions are just one kind of mental process. There is so much else going on at any moment. If we can accept that emotions are not the whole picture, and that they are actually not even the main point, and we do not permit them to take center stage, how much more room is there for our original true nature to shine? There is a certain freedom in being a bit removed from our emotions, watching them, being able to converse with them, and even using them to our advantage. There is more to us than just how we feel. As Walt Whitman says, I am large, I contain multitudes.